Vesmir Sky Highness Il mondo Tata Dima Potato You're listening to The World at Your Fingertips Good morning Morning How are you? I'm good, thank you I've got a frog in my throat and I can't get rid of it Oh no, that's not what you want I know, literally <laughs> I not, know. not for the podcast I know, typical But, oh well, I've got my coffee I'm going to go straight in with the drinks. What are you drinking, Molly? Well, I've actually just finished my espresso. I'm back with my typical espresso, but I've also got a large glass of water because it is hot today and I'm feeling dehydrated. Is it hot where you are? Yeah, it's, it's raining like... here. No way, really? Ugh, oh, that's honestly... England. My that's bride. sad. It was, it's like 22, 23 degrees here and I went out this morning for like a quick walk mm-hmm. and I was sitting in a long sleeve top and melted so I had to come home and change. So yeah, it's like, it's warm here. Oh, I literally ran to my dad's house and it was chuckling it down and I was like bitter. Cry. That's really sad. But next week, you're very exciting that you're going to come down to old Buckinghamshire. Yeah. And uh, be able to, well, I mean, after all this lockdown time, be able to visit, which is really exciting. I know. What if we could only record podcasts when we're not with each other? <laughs> Yeah, and we're actually well, like just lose the ability to talk when we're together when we did the episode with jack on epilepsy we did that all on video and that was that was enough of a struggle god yeah. i can't imagine being in the same room as you i feel like the talks would just go on at the start be like what are you drinking let, tell, let me tell you about my childhood blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and we'd be there like 16 hours later like wait what are we talking about yeah i guess so so many tangents so many tangents but before we go on any more tangents <laughs> Let's start the topic for this week, which is Kate. Da, 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 da. Oh, you want me to? Oh, yeah, I want you to say it. <laughs> I thought you wanted a drum roll. No, I wanted to big reveal of you to say it. Hang oh. on, I'll, let's do that again. Right. Our topic this week, which is Kate. Da, 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 experiences with travelling. Hey, there Woo. we go. We got there in the end. Cool. So. This week we're going to be talking about experiences of travelling, which is something that I think was very close to both of our hearts, um, whether that be solo travelling, whether that just be travelling in general, whether that be studying abroad. I think we've done all of the above. So this is something that we both can be very vocal about, I think. <laughs> we're so cultured. Well, honestly, I think anyone I talk to about having a gap year, I had two gap years. And so everyone's just like, oh my God, two gap years? You found yourself twice? Oh my God. Oh, yeah, I, I found both my personalities on each gap year. Now I have two. <laughs> now I have two, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, so I think traveling is definitely, and gap years, is definitely a big, well, in my opinion, a big culture in the UK in particular. Or in, I think, I suppose in America and in Australia as well, taking gap years is something that I think we're very... I think we're very lucky to be able to take a gap year and most of the time it not affect the prospect of going into university because you can defer your course. And I'm sure that's available in lots of other countries, but I have friends in Italy who a gap year is just not, that's just not an option. You go straight to university. Wow. Yeah, so, in Germany, it's like the number one thing to do. Really? Yeah. Have a gap year? Like most people have gap years and they're like, wait, you went straight to uni? And I was like, yeah. And they were like, oh my oh, gosh. Yeah, most people have gap years. So See, I was the exact opposite. When I was living in Italy in my first gap year, uh, <laughs> I, I had friends there that I'd met like through exchanges at school and they were going straight. Well, they actually were still at school because they go to school until 19. And they were shocked that I was taking a gap year uh, because for them, they, they just go straight to university. And then normally as well, they will go to a nearby university so they live at home. Whereas the culture here is to move 
around the country to go to your your chosen university, which again, I think is something that we're very lucky with in terms of being able to afford to do that from maintenance loans and tuition loans from the government. Yeah, to be fair, most people in Germany go to to school and live at home with their parents, which I found really strange because I'd be like, do you want to come to the pub? And they were like, no, mum's made tea for me. And I was like, but how do we make friends when you won't come to the pub with me? (laughs) And I was like, I want to be your friend, but I don't get it. Yeah, well, I think it's actually the same in... In most countries, I know in uh, in South Korea, the university I went to, everyone pretty much travelled in from like the suburbs of Seoul, and they would travel in for like an hour, an hour and a half, unless they were they were lucky enough that their family lived in central Seoul, and would travel to study, and to and that was their university experience, an hour and a half commute every day, which. Wow. I would not make it to an hour, a 9am if I travel for an hour. Yeah, I know. So I think it's really interesting how there are different experiences. And that's why I think studying abroad is so interesting, because you're able to get insight to all of these different study experiences in different countries, which I've really enjoyed doing. I know you've really enjoyed doing, Kate. And our mm-hmm. guest this week is someone who's also experienced that. So it'll be interesting to get his insight as well. But I think a big part of studying abroad is also the ability to solo travel. So that could be if you study abroad and then you could make friends there and then travel with people around that said area or travel to different countries nearby. But solo traveling has become quite the trend, I think. It's definitely on the rise. And I've got some statistics here from solotravelerworld.com. So apparently between 2013 and 2015, the percentage of people polled who travel on their own grew from 15% to 24%, according to the Visa Global Travel Intention Study of 2015. Wow. I think that's quite interesting. And then, and yeah, and then a more recent statistic said roughly one in four people say they will travel solo in the next year. This is in 2018. And that's on the rise, according to a survey of 2,300 people by marketing firm MMGY Global. Oh, well, I think, yeah, I mean, I've traveled on my own. And I think for a big thing, like as a woman, is you're constantly taught to be feared when you're in your own back garden at night or something. And the idea of traveling in a culture that you don't know, you might not speak the language of, obviously that just is, everyone tells you to be terrified. I can remember my mum, I didn't tell her. I mean, the first time I went to Asia, I booked it only for like a month to go to Vietnam, like the classic gap year between first and second year of uni. Yeah, they did. Gap year in a month. But I, I booked it and didn't tell my parents because I, I just thought, well, I'm an adult. See you later. And they were like, what? Oh, You're no. a young woman. And I was like, what difference does it make if I'm a young woman? Like, obviously, yeah, you've got to be aware of yourself. But I think, obviously, always be careful. I don't want to condone this. But my personality is 99% of the time, I think you're going to be all right. <laughs> and I'd rather go for it than, than not. I don't know it's all, yeah, it's all, about, it's all about being aware, though. I think you were very aware of the situation you were going into. Yeah, and I so carried I think... a shank in my pocket, which helped. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, no, that's not true. Kate did not do that. No, I didn't. Uh, <laughs> please don't come and arrest Kate. Uh, anyway, so I think it's the idea of women solo traveling because I think that's something that's much more recent than solo traveling for men. Mm. And according to the same website, Searches for solo women travel surged in 2019. So it increased by 32% in 2017, 59% in 2018, and then 230% in 2019. Which is crazy. That is is absolutely insane. I wonder if that's like corresponding to like women's rights movements that have been going on a lot, do you think? Yeah, maybe. I mean, you know what I'm like for planning anything. 
I turned up and I didn't even have accommodation sorted when I arrived in Germany for a year living there. I just turned up and I was like, <laughs> gun fingers, pow, 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 pow. Like, that is crazy that be... you did that. And the same when I was, I was traveling around Europe on my own. Literally, I'd rock up, I hadn't booked a hostel, I'd turn up and be like, do you have a room? Yeah, sure. And like, looking back, I didn't have currency sorted or anything. Don't yeah, be me. Um, I know but I also think obviously there's a line but there's something about that that's quite fine I remember I went to Thailand and we flew to Vietnam for a few days just because we thought I think we'd done we'd basically done Thailand and we were like let's go somewhere else so we went to Vietnam and we arrived in the airport and we had no currency and we went to the cash point and we were like what like do you know what the exchange rate is and we were stood there I had no idea how how much money to get out because Mm. I think it's Vietnamese dong and we had no idea how much was to a pound so we were there trying to connect to the airport Wi-Fi, like trying to Google. We probably stood there for like an hour trying to figure it out because we knew we needed to get money for a taxi, but then we didn't want to get ripped off. So we were trying to work out what the exchange rate was so that we were able to be able to navigate properly rather than just have no idea what was going on. Take us yeah. with you. Yeah, definitely. I think there's, I don't know about you, but I definitely felt like I could wing it more in Europe than I could in Asia because mm. obviously, like, I think you just, in the way we're brought up in Britain, or over the past 10 years anyway, it's changing a bit now, we've just been exposed more casually to cultures around Europe than we have around Asia. So yeah, definitely. you sort of see words and you know that it's an ATM because it looks vaguely similar. But there is something disconcerting about travelling in Asia when I'm looking at characters that I literally have no familiarity with. So I definitely felt comforted that I went with someone else to Asia. But in Europe... I kind of felt like I could blend in more. And I don't know if that is something more personally towards me. And I just haven't been exposed to to Asian cultures as much. Well, it is so much further away. Like Europe is on our doorstep. And I think a lot of people have family holidays to different places in Europe as well when they're younger. Mm. So I think there's something that's more comforting. I do get you though. When I first went to Asia, I went with a friend. And then the second time I went, I went alone. And going alone the second time, I, I did feel happy that I had gone with a friend the first time because like the long flights, I did two stops on the way. So I had three different flights, which wow, took about 29 not... hours. It was yeah. horrible. <laughs> but I didn't feel nervous because I was, I felt like I'd done it before. I mean, it was less. It was only like 13 hours when I went with my friend to Thailand, yeah. but going to Bali, it was, it was a lot further. So because you've gone through it before, it's like, okay, well, I'm just doing the same thing, but I'm just going to a different place. And obviously the culture in Indonesia is very different, but I think it's the distance and the journey that makes you, I think that would have made me nervous if I'd done that for the first time by myself. I mean, yeah, I'm saying that I solo traveled after I went to Asia with other people. So already you've gone out of your comfort zone so far that going to Europe solo traveling doesn't seem as big of a a difference. So it's probably just experience, but also in terms of like modes of traveling. So I did the, I mean, this is only to Scotland, but the North Coast 500 in a car. And I felt so much more grounded because you have basically a place that if anything goes wrong, you're safe inside the car. But when yeah. you're getting trains places, they drop you off. And then all of a sudden you're in the middle of nowhere and you've got to walk and it's way more like just exposing, I think. So I think there's a comfort to traveling in a car, so, say to in a plane, yeah you know, there's it, like degrees of uncertainty related to different types of traveling yeah there's like a definite trust I think that you just have to have I remember going from we went from Koh Phangan to Koh Phi Phi in Thailand which if anyone knows the geography of Thailand you have to go to mainland go across mainland and then go across to Koh Phi Phi the island so it's quite a long journey so we and you, you used to get kind of dropped off you're given stickers and then people will kind of 
usher you in whatever direction you need to go based on the sticker that you're wearing. So <laughs> it can so easily go wrong. I think we were quite hungover as well. We got on this boat, got to mainland, and then they just get ushered onto a coach. And then you're driving across mainland Thailand. You have no idea where you are. And then you get, we got dropped at this, I say bus station, but it was like a place with like a bench and a vending machine. And we just sat there for about 45 minutes. And I remember thinking, where are we? Where are we going next? I have no idea. And then eventually someone arrived with another bus and we're like, yep, you come here. And so we got on this next bus and then to the coast of it where you get the boat. And then it's all just like, it's just such a long journey. And you just have to trust, like, I will get to my destination. I'm wearing the right sticker. But it is 100% like disconcerting. You just have to be like, right, trust that this is the way things work. And this is a system that works. And it does work. It did work. We were fine. I'm sure there have been instances where it's gone wrong. But, you know, we trusted it. And I've trusted it again since. And it's been fine so it's just having to trust where you're going and hope for the best really yeah one thing definitely that I don't know if you found this is the case when I'm traveling alone I just love that I have total autonomy over what I do Mm. like if I want to lie in for an extra hour I can if I want to go to this very like niche art exhibition that I know if I was traveling with someone they probably wouldn't go to yeah and I think that with year abroads and study abroads is a huge thing so I was the only person who went to Frankfurt in Germany from the University of Southampton I mean I found out afterwards I wasn't and I met Gabby <laughs> and says so like, she's from Southampton as well but I was the only person not from languages so Gabby did German and I just did English and so I went completely on my own and I just found like I could do whatever I wanted to do yeah and it was terrifying because all of a sudden if anything goes wrong it's completely on you but yeah, you also have all of the the power to make of it what you want there's definitely a different feeling when you live abroad than when you visit abroad do you think Mm. so yeah definitely and I think well I think that's something that's going to be interesting in our discussion with Sam who's our guest this week because they kind of go together but there are also differences but I think what's interesting particularly in the current moment with coronavirus the lack of travel that's happening so all of these statistics I've read out, obviously, solo traveling is on the rise, but obviously it's just been halted. And then also the study abroad program, particularly in the UK or specifically to the UK, is now changing because of Brexit. So I think there is a lot to discuss about that and about what's going to be offered to students who want to be able to study abroad and how future legislation is going to affect that. Definitely. I mean, we touched on it last week with with Jenny just about like ESN UK and I think it's so valuable having gone through that myself and got really like involved with this international student community I think it's so valuable and obviously like our guest Sam Price he was at Erasmus well international student visiting Southampton for a year and I just think I wouldn't never have met him if I wasn't involved with ESN Southampton I hadn't done an exchange myself so it all comes together and you meet so many various people so shall we introduce sam i think we should yeah okay let's go again hi sam g'day how you going oh god we get it you're australian g'day <laughs> that was the manliest laugh i've ever heard you do not gonna lie trying to act cool on the podcast yeah exactly for the hundreds of thousands of viewers which are clearly going to be listening to this <laughs> right and that is the end of this week's episode bye sam thanks for listening yeah. <laughs> see ya so how are you sam yeah i'm pretty good thanks just the it's the end of the holidays over here in australia so feeling pretty refreshed 
Oh, nice. It still nice. confuses me that everything is like backwards there. Yeah, it's our second semester as well. Right. <laughs> which is even more backwards. So, well, actually, before we get into conversations about you being here, tell us what you're drinking and then tell us a bit about yourself and the experiences you've had with study abroad and solo travelling. All right, so I'm drinking uh, Bogue St George, which is a Tassie beer. It's a bit light because I've been on holidays and therefore I'm a bit over drinking heavily. Um, <laughs> right, fair enough. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm from Adelaide, South Australia and studying in Tasmania, Australia, studying naval architecture, which is like boat engineering. AKA um, ship science, but you refuse to use that yeah, phrase. Yeah, AKA ship science. <laughs> um, and yeah, and so it's my final year doing my thesis, which is all about a controller for the ride height of a foiling sailing boat. So oh. it's like out of the water and how far out of the water it is. Last year, I came to Southampton on an exchange year. I spent a full year there, but starting in January through to January rather than September through to June or whatever it is. That must have been really strange in terms of like, so did you start literally as your holidays in Australia? No, wait, when are your holidays in Australia? Uh, So holidays are June to July are the winter holidays and then the summer holidays are November to February and then came halfway through my, my holidays and then did a whole year. I think I left Australia on the 16th of January and came back to Australia on the 28th or something of January the next year. So That must have been so yeah. mad as well, leaving mid-summer to come to freezing cold England. Yeah, it was 47 degrees Celsius when I uh, got oh on the plane. God. And it was negative 3 degrees Celsius when I stepped off. So. <laughs> Oh it was my a god! Fifty degree temperature difference. <laughs> I'd be like, let's turn this thing around. Like, I'd probably get back to forty <laughs> degrees. Forty-seven degrees is just as bad as negative three, to be honest. Yeah, to be fair, that is like unfunctionable. It's like the two extremes. Yeah, that's when you yeah. just sit, sit in the pub, drink beer. Excellent. I love that's that. Too much. That's just <laughs> yeah, I love that. That's Australia. what you do. Whole of Australia in a pub, <laughs> just like sweating <laughs> together. Beautiful, beautiful yep. image. But yeah, you did like a. Did you do a road trip around Norway? as well whilst you were here yeah so one of my other mates uh zach corbett shout out um was <laughs> he also <barely> in, in <laughs> he was also in southampton also from tasmania and yeah over the easter break i think it was we um went over to the mainland europe and got a two-person camper van and took it from amsterdam through germany up through denmark over a ferry to norway through norway down the west coast of sweden back into denmark back into germany back to Amsterdam. So it was uh, about two weeks of pretty much constant driving. Wow. That's awesome. That's so yeah, cool. it was pretty cool. So when you came to Southampton, did you know your friend, were you friends in Tasmania before you came or did you become friends? We, we to... weren't friends in Tasmania. I, I had met Zach once before coming to Southampton. It was just like a meet and greet for people who were either on exchange currently in Australia or who were going on exchange next year. Yeah, I met him there, had a few beers with him. We bonded over the fact that they had told us that there was free beer, but they only gave us one beer. <laughs> oh, man. So it was a bit a bit rude. And then the next time I saw him was when we were actually in England and we went, we went shopping at Ikea together. He realised that we were buying two of everything. We thought it was ridiculous. So I had a spare room in my flat. And so we um, got in touch with the accommodation people. And we're like, a week later, he was in my flat. So we spent pretty much the entire time together, which is pretty fun. Oh, that's really nice. That's really good that you were able to bond with someone. And it's interesting as well that you were able to meet before you came because I think a big part of solo travelling as well, especially with study abroad where you're going somewhere for a year, can be quite daunting. Or did you find it daunting that like, you're coming here for a year? 
Yeah, I mean, it was sort of, I didn't really think about it until I left. Literally the only person who I knew in Southampton was Zach, and I'd only met him once before. So it, was, it wasn't really until I was on the plane, I thought, oh, I hope my housemates are nice and I meet some people, otherwise it might be a fairly boring year. But that was never going to happen with all of ESN's efforts to get everyone drunk, so... Woo! Um, <laughs> and do charity work, not just drugs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you study naval architecture. You came on a really yeah. long flight from Australia, and then you spent two weeks in a car going around mainland Europe. What's yeah. your favourite mode of travel? So I've done a fair bit more travel than that. Tell us about it. Well, yeah, I definitely think that travelling by car is absolutely the best. I've done a fair bit of bus and train and plane travel. So just destination to destination and sort of nothing in between. And then car travel, especially that camper van trip with Zach. And it's so much nicer to be in a car because you have so much more freedom. In 2016, I think it was, I travelled around the UK and Ireland and did it all by bus. And I found That's that especially cool. when I was going up like up through the lake, the lake district... I wanted to go and see this thing which I'd found and the only way to get there was by bus which only ran once a week or by a taxi. So there was a lot which I wanted to go and do and it just wasn't really possible without a car. Yeah. And I know that in Australia there's like most of Australia you can't get to without a car and some of Australia you can't even get to with a car. So I think a car is by far the best mode of transport for the actual travelling part. Obviously I wouldn't want to drive to England from Australia. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a bit. Once, it's a long way. once you are actually doing your travelling bit, I think that a car or some sort of something in which you make your own way. Yeah, so you've done a lot of travelling like yeah, around Europe, best. but had you done yeah. loads around Australia as well and around your end of the world? In again, by car, so relatively close to where I've been living. So I've done a fair bit of Tasmania and I've done a fair bit of South Australia as well because that's where I grew up. Lots and lots of sort of camping trips pretty much all over, right up into the centre of Australia, but not really much on the east or west coasts or northern at all. So you say you came here in 2016. So is that one of the reasons why you chose to study here? Or like, is there something that drew you to Europe or the UK specifically? (laughs) Well, I had two options, really. When I was trying to get myself an exchange, I figured out what universities the University of Tasmania was affiliated with. And there was two options which did naval architecture or naval architecture-like courses. One of them was Southampton, and the other one was Memorial University in Canada, in Newfoundland. And two people have done an exchange before me from my university. Only Both two? of them had gone to... Yeah, only two. Wow. In, in my course. Yeah. Because it's quite, you know, specialised, so it's difficult to make it work. Yeah, they had both gone to Memorial and they had both sort of, in one way or another, been messed around a little bit. And I thought, uh, I'll try Southampton instead and see if I can get that one to work. And it has so far, except COVID sort of buggered up my last year a bit, but that's not the exchange's fault. Yeah, just to, you know, rebel against the other two people who have done <laughs> done the exchange. You ought to be different, you, Sam? <laughs> you want to be special. Yeah, I, had to, I had to be the first one. Yeah, so in it terms of it. like... How people think of studying abroad, not just exchanges, but going abroad to study as well. How is it viewed in Australia? Is it popular or is it not so much? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty popular. It's Obviously, it takes a certain type of personality to want to do it, I yeah. find. I feel like in, there's certain disciplines in, in which it's easier to do an exchange and, and ones which it's harder. 
And in a large university, you're more likely, there's, you know, there's more exchange opportunities and people are more likely to know about the fact that there's exchange opportunities and stuff like that. So it's more likely that people are going to do exchanges if you're at a big university and if you're doing certain degrees which are more compatible with overseas courses. I don't really know anyone who's gone overseas to study without having a nationality or family who lived there or some other reason to study or if they've lived there before or something like that. I think it's quite rare for Australians to just go overseas to study without a reason behind it. I really like how you keep on saying overseas and you study naval architecture. It's really amusing me. (laughs) I'm just going to put that out there. (laughs) (laughs) It's a weak joke, but I found it amusing. So yeah, so you sort of say you need a reason to go. Do you not do exchanges throughout school? It sounds pretty similar in the UK that when you talk to like German people and Chinese people, they do a lot of exchanges during secondary school and through even primary school. Do you think that Australia sort of has the same idea that you only go abroad for a reason rather than to expand your cultural knowledge and things like that? Yes and no. When I say there's uh, people who go overseas to study for only if they have a reason to, I mean more that it's, uh, they go overseas because it's, it's very expensive to study overseas. Yeah. Unless you unless you're doing an exchange or you have a nationality so it's cheaper or something like that. That's the reason why I say that it's difficult to and you need a reason. Australians tend to have a reason to go overseas. But a lot of Australians travel outside of study. There's a huge amount I mean, you can go anywhere and you'll find an Australian somewhere. Just gotta go to the front bar. To be fair, that is so true. Every time I go into a hostel there's one Aussie who's like Woo! That's pie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. On every experience I've had, I definitely met at least one Australian, which I quite appreciate because it's also just interesting as well to meet someone who is well traveling for the same reason as you are, but from like the other end of the world, but also speaks English. It's another big reason that we like Europe is because everyone speaks English, and Australians don't speak any other language other than English. Generally, <laughs> we're horrible for it. I just think it's so interesting that we're on the other side of the world from each other, but like culturally, we're so similar. I know that sounds really, really stupid because of obviously the history of Britain and Australia. Yeah. You sent all your best people over here. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, talking about like funding and stuff. So something that's quite important in the UK at the moment is talking about Erasmus funding and how that's potentially going to be cut or definitely reduced due to Brexit. So what is it like in Australia? Like, is there an equivalent or does Erasmus, I'm not as clued up on Erasmus as you guys are. So <laughs> is there like a, is there a grant? Does Erasmus work over there? I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure how Erasmus works either. I know that it is in Australia, but in general, funding for exchanges comes through the university. I'm pretty sure that the government does have some sort of... They have, like, study plans, so they're trying to get people to go and study in Southeast Asia. And yeah. so there's you can get scholarships for, like, I think it's up to 67000 Australian dollars, which is £30,000. And all the other funding tends to come from the universities and whatever scholarship funds there are available, so... If someone's created a fund for a specific type of exchange, then you might be able to get a scholarship through that. Yeah. Um, but there's not sort of a, an overarching body of exchange like Erasmus in Australia. There's also, so obviously Erasmus Plus is funded by the EU Commission, but 
now because of Brexit, you know, a lot of universities in the UK, especially Russell Group universities, are looking into strengthening relationships as part of the One Network, which is the World Universities Network, which functions a bit more broadly on the Commonwealth countries. So, right. yeah, like Canada, Australia. I think culturally, though, they're quite similar, like Canada, Australia, the UK. So I don't know what that means in terms of the experience and what British students and students from those countries coming to somewhere where it is quite a similar culture, what they'll gain as much as if they went, you know, somewhere else, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's true. Do you feel like you still went out of your comfort zone even though you came to the UK? I mean, not really. I mean, I, I did things which obviously pushed me out of my comfort zone. You know, living in the UK wasn't outside of my comfort zone. Going somewhere where I don't really know anyone, that was going outside of my comfort zone. Over the summer break, I did an internship in Germany and I don't speak any German. And the the company who I was working for speaks, it's a German speaking company. That was pretty out of my comfort zone. That was was my entire exchange in Frankfurt. I was like, (laughs) welcome friends. (laughs) So like with, okay, so going on the vein of putting yourself out of your comfort zone, like the UK, I feel like if you don't feel like it was going out of your comfort zone, is that presumably because it was English speaking and you found that a lot of the things were similar, but then going to Germany, it really did like going into the language barrier, but also Germany has, I think, a relatively different culture to the UK. So I was looking on different articles about solo traveling and how Essentially, it's just like, to be honest, I think this is a bit of a, a sales technique from Hostel World. There's an article from Hostel World, uh, which is saying all of the 71 ways your life will change when you travel alone. <laughs> like, really? I don't think that sounds like a sales technique. <laughs> like, sorry, Hostel World. And Hostel World is great. And I've used them before and they've been good. It's saying you'll become more creative. It will make you more employable. It can improve your mental health. You can detox from technology feel more comfortable in your own skin like there are a lot of reasons for it being a positive impact on your own well-being or your own personality would you say that any of the things I've just said would apply to you from your trip to Europe or like to the UK obviously studying abroad and then you're traveling through Europe yeah absolutely I think that certainly the more employable bit is very obvious one to me if you've spent time overseas and in different cultures, even though it's not that, you know, Australia and English culture are very similar, but it's still nonetheless a different culture, you know, and especially studying overseas, you get connections and you get you make friends all over the world, especially being so involved in ESN. I've, I have friends literally all over Europe and even over in like South America and North America and pretty much every continent except for Antarctica. So I think it's... Um, so that's where you need to go yeah, next. Yeah, that's Well, like that's where I'm trying to go. I applied to um, BAS, British Antarctic Survey, to go down to Antarctica, but they canned the project because of COVID, so... Oh, <laughs> but yeah, I think that's super interesting in terms of like soft skills that you develop. Mm. I read on this study abroad website and in a survey by UniFrog... Who named them that? No clue. But yeah, they said, obviously, the two main factors for people wanting to go abroad, this is from the UK, was 43% said a love of travel, which I think everyone can relate to. And but 29% said employability, which I think is super interesting when you think traditionally, why people come to the UK to study as international students for the whole three years. A lot of it is to do with job opportunities in the UK and Mm. moving from their country to 
the UK, but now students in the UK are seeing study abroad as something that can give them further opportunities. Do you think that, I don't know, do you think more people want to work abroad? Like, obviously, you've got a degree that you can study anywhere where there's ships, which is really handy. Yeah. (laughs) So do you think, do you know a lot of people in Australia who want to work outside of Australia? Not really in Australia. Australia is so far away from everything. Sure, I know some people, but the majority of people, I mean, a lot of people don't even leave their hometowns. One thing I really noticed about when I was in England was that everybody moves away for university. Everybody goes somewhere, whether it's, you know, an hour away or, I don't know, as far away as you can in England, probably about five hours or so. so. Everyone goes, though, and it's... You know, you don't really get that many people living at home throughout university. I think it's much more common in Australia for people to stay where it's comfortable and it's cheap and it's easy, especially because the distances are so much larger in Australia. You know, you you move away from home in England and, you know, you might move two hours away and you can always just duck back on a weekend. But when you move away from home to a different state and a different city and a different university in Australia, you move eight hours away or 10 or 15 or three days. I have to catch two planes to get home if I want to go home. It takes me 24 hours of travel um, if I take the car because I have to get a boat as well. I don't go home regularly by any means. The, The most I've been home in a year is three times. So it's more difficult to move away. So I think in that sense, when people do go on exchange, if they've never moved away from home, it's like a much bigger deal than if you've lived by yourself in a different part of England for, you know, two years already. Some people who go on exchange have literally never not lived at home. So I think that's definitely, if, if, you're, if you're a person who goes on exchange and you've never lived anywhere but your family home, then I think that it's very much going to change you and who you are and how you think and what you know and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's a massive eye-opener, isn't it? But also yeah, the fact that it takes you like 24 hours to get home and you've still been home three times and I complain about like a six-hour train journey and I'm like, oh, I can't come home. Sorry, parents, bye. <laughs> Don't tell them that because <laughs> well, they will be like, well, Sam travels I mean, that's only if hours. I drive. Oh, yeah, that's true. I only, I, only, I only do that. So that's like at the end of the year sort of thing when I pack my car up and all my belongings into the, into the boot. Is that what you call it over there? Yeah. Yeah. Boot. Well, we call it the boot. I just wasn't sure whether we're sort of a mix between America and England, so I wasn't sure whether you could call it the same thing. I know you call, call it like you call trunk. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, you guys call you call it an estate, and we call it a wagon. An estate. Really, that's, oh yeah. That's the difference. Yeah. yeah, yeah that yeah. took me a while to figure out what you guys were talking about. Yeah. An estate yeah. is in like a housing estate. No, like a car, an estate car. Oh. <laughs> housing estate, just going to the wagon. Yeah, I was just like, what is the connection between housing estate and wagon? I could not get that at all. That's so funny. Oh, God. Amazing. So, like, so do you think the fact that you've moved away from home for university increased your thirst to travel abroad and study abroad? No, I've done a fair bit. So I, I did an exchange in high school in year 10. I went to Canada. Wow. And then I took Why did we get to do that? I'm bitter. We don't do. Oh, we do, but all of our exchanges are to Europe, which is like an hour flight away. So it's just never like, yeah. like oh. it just doesn't seem that far. There was no exchange offered in my school. Oh, I did um, two to Italy. What? But, yeah. Fuck Sheffield. 
Uh, I'm uh, so, so bitter. <laughs> sorry to any of our Sheffield listeners. I <laughs> just burst out with me. Sorry, please continue. Sir. Yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, so went to Canada in year 10. And then I took a gap year in 2016. And I went to Central America and then England and Europe. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, so that was my 2016 trip. And then I'd yeah, done a few sort of closer ones with the family. Been to Japan and uh, Malaysia and like Tonga, which is a Pacific island. Yeah, so I've, I've been a fair few places. And I just, that's when I sort of caught the travel bug, as they say. Yeah, as soon as I found out that I could do an exchange, I organised it pretty much straight away as soon as I could. So I find it no, interesting no, no, that if done. you're travelling from Australia, though, it's always a flight to another country, whereas here we can just get a train to mainland Europe and we never have to fly anywhere, really. We could really hit everywhere via car or from train. Yeah, and that's, I think, one of the reasons why when... Well, certainly when I travel, I like to travel for a long time and do a big trip because... I mean, to get anywhere other than Southeast Asia or anywhere else within Australia, it costs a lot of money. <laughs> so, well, certainly at my age, I can't justify flying to Europe for two weeks and then back. Yeah. I mean, two weeks is probably fair enough, but I can't, you know, you can't just do it for like a few days and then come back. Whereas you could, if you're flying from England, you can just fly over. You don't get jet lagged. You can spend the whole time doing whatever you want to do be there for like five days or so and then fly back and it's it's a good trip it's a nice holiday for us it's you could say that yeah, with no, those, where you were like oh we gone to like local trips to japan you just said and i'm like japan what yeah but japan's still quite <laughs> yeah. far though yeah it is quite far i mean japan's sort of the furthest away that i would consider relatively close it's certainly completely different to flying to europe because it's, it's sort of half the way so it doesn't knock you around as much and it's also just a lot cheaper from australia you can get flights to japan and sort of hong kong and all of southeast asia relatively cheaply if you get a good deal whereas if you go to europe it's always very expensive so yeah i think like it's probably vice versa as well in terms of like when anyone i know who's gone to australia has gone for a year for their visa and spent the yeah. whole time working and living out there i don't know anyone that's been actually my brother has been he went for a month but that's a, like the shortest period of time I know anyone that's gone to Australia for. Because, yeah, it's such yeah. a long sort of adjustment time to the time difference. But so talking yeah. about travelling and well, in the current context of coronavirus, I don't know what the situation is like in Australia now, but I know it was quite strict towards the beginning of the lockdown here. So how are you feeling about the fact that there's not much prospect to travel? Or, well, I don't know, actually, what is it like in Australia? Because it kind of feels like that here. Yeah, so at, at the moment, it's all right. It's kind of annoying for us because the only state which has not been able to break the cycle of coronavirus is Victoria. And especially where I am in Tasmania, the only way to get to mainland Australia other than by flying is by boat into Victoria. So if I want to go back to mainland, I have to go through Victoria and then I have to, as soon as I leave Victoria, I have to quarantine. It, but everywhere else, pretty much. I think that New South Wales now has a few cases, but they're, they're mostly from people coming from Victoria. Everywhere else is pretty much zero, zero cases. Certainly no new cases in, in Tasmania. We haven't had any cases of coronavirus. That's crazy. As in not even active cases, literally no cases in like over a month now. But um, as in terms of travelling around well, Tasmania, I've probably travelled more 
this holidays, this the, the past three weeks than I have any other holidays that I've had here. It's very open now, but that's because we had very strict lockdown laws yeah. you know, when, when it did start growing. Would you feel uncomfortable coming here now, well, at the current moment? Would you feel weird about coming to Europe because it's been a lot worse here? I, I feel weird about it because I can't get back into Australia. Um, oh, right. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so if I was moving to England or to, to Europe and I was intending on staying there for a significant amount of time, I would be more than happy to move there, especially as a you know relatively young, relatively fit <laughs> male. It's, it's quite... <laughs> I wonder where that was going, it's... like relatively fit. Please all agree, girls. And <laughs> oh, let's not joke about that because it's not it's not good at the moment. Um, oh yeah, fit means yeah, that's different words as well. I just healthy, love... relatively healthy. I love how long the pause was. was <laughs> no, I was. Yeah, okay, let's move on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we just spat my coffee everywhere. Oh, okay. Oh, that was disgusting. Anyway. Okay, I, I actually wasn't aware that the, the kind of getting back into Australia rules are still quite strict. So I suppose that's good, though, yeah. and that's probably why you guys have handled it so much better than we have. Yeah, um, I mean, you can get back in, I'm pretty sure. I've, I've not looked it up because I'm not overseas, so it doesn't really matter. Um, <laughs> yeah, fair but, like I think it's like you you just you have to quarantine for two weeks and it's you know quite expensive because you have to go into a, a government hotel for two weeks sort of thing and they charge you a certain amount. It's just it's it's a bit of a faff really. So I, mm. I mean I wouldn't go overseas for a holiday now because it's too too much effort. Yeah, fair enough. I mean I'm hoping that I mean it is obviously impacting solo traveling and probably will continue to whether that be people who like building funds to go traveling, people who want to study and work abroad. Obviously, coronavirus has definitely impacted which is a shame but I'm hoping that after coronavirus starts to well once there's a vaccine I guess I hope that it can resume and I mean imagine all of these stats that we're looking at are probably going to diminish over the next year and then probably slowly build back up again or they might surge I don't know people might be really desperate to get out traveling and you know what we we are here to recommend that to you because once coronavirus is over not now (laughs) Um, but like once there's a vaccine we'd recommend it because yeah like we've been talking about there are so many benefits from studying and traveling abroad and I think we'd all so we'd all agree with that especially if you're wanting to join ESN Kate whoa do it (laughs) sorry (laughs) before I shamelessly plug ESN to everyone because it's great I did want to like I find it interesting that coronavirus has sort of overtaken Brexit in terms of like all dialogues about international interactions but Mm. like when Brexit happened so Sam you'd be in the were you in the UK or you were on you were traveling around that year I was was in yeah 2016 when when the vote happened I was in London and then I was in I was in Vietnam so we like were on completely different experiences (laughs) of like but both abroad if that makes sense yeah so what did that sort of make you feel, though, when that sort of happened? Did it change your attitude towards travelling in the UK? Or did you maybe think that it's easier to get a visa for Europe or for a, a different country than maybe the UK or something? So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a British... A British... I'm a British citizen. Are you? I didn't know yeah. that. 
Yeah. No, I didn't know that either. Yeah, so I'm That's I'm cool. a British citizen, so I can go to England whenever I want. And for me, Brexit basically meant that it it, it just meant that it was harder for me to go to Europe. It's not too bad because the Australian passport does a lot anyway, and you can sort of you can pretty much travel anywhere in Europe for you know up to ninety days or so, no no issues whatsoever. But that was that was sort of my thoughts of Brexit was it was just they didn't yeah, change it just your, makes it harder for me. It didn't change like your outlook on how the UK reacted to like into like, I guess it's different because you're Australian, so yeah. I mean, I was I was similar. shocked. Yeah. I was shocked that it happened. Like I was positive that the vote would never go through, but then again I was positive that Trump wouldn't get elected and I was positive that Boris Johnson would never be PM of Britain and there's a lot of things in politics which have happened which are not at all what was expected. So it's a bit annoying, I guess, but she'll be right. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Brexit. A bit annoying, I guess, but should be right. <laughs> Sam Price. <laughs> People still like Australians, yeah. so fuck Britain. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that whole year was just a bit of a, like, what <laughs> moment for, well, for the UK and the US. I feel like and the rest of the world were just watching us like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I think that that kind of brings us to a close on what we've been talking about I think that that kind of wraps things up nicely and actually to kind of just wrap things up there is a stat that I have here that according to booking.com research found that Australia is the number one international destination for solo travel so if any listeners are interested I'm sure Sam would recommend Australia as (laughs) as the number one place to go to after Rona's Absolutely. Yeah, you can go stay with him, everyone. His address is. <laughs> can you imagine if I did that. Get, so get in fun. get in touch with me if you're ever in if you're ever in South Australia or in the next three months in Tasmania. Let me know and I'll sort something out for you. Please don't fly to Tasmania, anyone. In the next yeah, three not months. not in the next three months. <laughs> no, we do not recommend traveling to Australia in the current situation, but we do recommend yeah. it once the situation has. Uh, eased slightly but yeah so thank you so much for coming on to talk to us I think there was like lots of interesting insight particularly in the differences between like the opportunities of studying abroad and how they're kind of recognized in different countries as well Uh, I don't know if you have anything else to add Kate no just thanks for staying up so late to talk to us Sam I hope you've enjoyed it yeah it's been a good chat thanks mate (laughs) (laughs) thanks Thanks, thanks for having me on. No, thanks for coming. And it's great to talk to you. And hope to see you soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah hopefully okay. we'll be reunited at some yeah. point once this is all yeah. once this is all over. But yeah, thanks again and thanks to everyone who's listening and we'll see you next week. <laughs>